Welcome back, folks, to Big Mama Hex podcast. Today, I'm sitting down virtually with my friend from Canada or living in Canada right now. He's actually from Berks County, and I'm super excited to have him here. Um, we're new friends, but um, we've known each other a little while on social media, so I'm really excited to sit down and talk to him about all the things that he does and the work he's doing and the dreams and hopes that he has for our community. So welcome, Ethan Bode, to Big Mama Hex podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. I had the pleasure of having a wonderful, brilliant conversation with you and Bradley Smith a few, I guess, last week um, yeah. about some things that are cooking, some things that you are working on. And I am so excited to have gotten to know you a little better and also um, to be doing this right now. So thanks for coming on. I'm really glad that you were open and had some time and let's get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. So Ethan and... Yes. So Ethan and I know each other basically through Instagram, I guess. We talked a little bit about this before. Um, so it turns out that we kind of know each other through our friend to the show, Doug Maidenford. And I think you said that you found me through one of his shows. So thanks. Big shout out to Doug, my buddy and my cousin, um, for, for linking us together. He is the great bringer of people together I call him (laughs) absolutely absolutely I learned like about most of the people in the Pennsylvania Dutch community through him so it's been it's I've been really grateful to learn so much and to get acquainted with you it's so wonderful absolutely it's been a lot of fun and we seem to be kindred spirits which has been a lot a breath of fresh air in um a time where I was feeling a little bit rode hard and left out to dry by the community so I'm glad Ethan you came into my life at a very good time so welcome to this podcast and also to our community and even though you're in Canada the wonderful thing about social media is that and things like this is that you can access all of us very easily and and really feel like a part of our community even though you're not actually really quite in the community so starting off with that in mind I'd really like to ask you first where are you from because I find this very interesting sort of your journey that you shared with me and Bradley the other day. So I'd love to know more about where you're from and how you get ended up in Canada. Yeah. So I was born in Reading um, and I grew up on a farm uh, outside of Nowers for the first 11 years of my life. And um, that was like really wonderful. You know, both my parents actually, so, you know, for those of you familiar with Pennsylvania geography, that area is like an hour outside of Philadelphia and both my parents work in Philadelphia. So they would commute every day between Reading and Philadelphia. So um, yeah, it's a crazy commute. So for the first 11 years of my life, I I lived on a farm and we had cows and uh, you know, I have a younger brother and you know, that part of Pennsylvania is very much a part of the Pennsylvania German community and um, it's uh, it, it was really uh, great for me to be immersed in that. My dad's family is Pennsylvania Dutch uh, from Northern Dauphin County. And so I just sort of grew up immersed in the culture and uh, had a wonderful childhood taking care of animals and growing vegetables and doing all those great things. And then when I was 11, my parents got tired of the commute, understandably. And we moved to right next, we moved to Villanova. Um, And so that's where I spent the last bit of time before I graduated and moved to Canada where I live now. I went to Queens University in Kingston and I just graduated this year and now I live in Ottawa. 
So that's, that's kind of my geographical journey. Well, wow, that's wonderful. So did you do your undergraduate work at Queens College? Yeah, so my, my, un, my undergrad was at Queens. And so I studied linguistics. Uh, my major was linguistics and my minor was political studies. So I, uh, and then I also have a certification in Spanish language and literature. Um, so that's, I did that at Queens. And um, so part of the reason I decided to move to Canada was because my, one of my best friends from growing up uh, is Canadian. Her family, uh, her parents are from Canada. And so, you know, her grandmother would come down and we would go up to Toronto to spend time with her. And I really just fell in love with Canada. It's, you know, a really great country. And I felt, you know, I, I wanted to explore beyond the United States. And I really, you know, I considered going to Germany, to Ireland. Uh, and then, you know, my parents were like, well, don't go that far away. So I chose Canada and uh, yeah, so I ended up here and I plan on staying here and uh, it's just, yeah, that's, uh, I am very grateful that I had all those influences in my life that led me to where I am now. Oh, that's awesome. So you do plan on staying there. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I'll, I'll be back in Pennsylvania a bunch because <laughs> my parents oh, are yeah. still there. Well, that's the really neat thing about Canada too, is I actually have um, a friend from high school that moved to Canada and is super happy. Um, but it's so close still. Like it doesn't really feel that it doesn't feel as far like if you had gone to Germany and my cousin went to Germany for many, many years and it was to the heartbreak of her family. <laughs> um, so it still feels very, like you just mentioned to me when we were talking uh, before the podcast about it's only a six hour drive for you, right? To come yeah, home. It's, it's a six hour drive and it's a very easy drive. And I, um, you know, un unless of course it's like snowing a lot, then it's not an easy drive, but it's a very easy drive. And it's like a, an hour and a half flight if, you know, I don't want to drive. Um, so it's, yeah, it's super convenient for my parents. Like they were able to visit me up until COVID. And um, recently they've been able to visit me now uh, since the border is open again. And uh, yeah, so it, it, feels far away sometimes definitely with the pandemic it felt further than it actually is mm. um but yeah it's that was a really I felt like for me it was a really good decision because I got the experience of living in another country but I was still able to come home for like all the holidays and for like two weeks in the summer so it was um it, it was definitely you know I'll pat myself on the back for that one <laughs> yeah that's amazing um so when we had the pleasure of speaking last week you were telling us a little bit about yourself and talked about the kind of work you do. Um, and I was right away, it piqued my interest so much. I really, um, you know, I have had Josh Brown on and he does a lot of work. I, I don't remember if his degrees in linguists, but, but he also did a lot of work in the Amish community when he was studying Pennsylvania Deutsch. Hmm. And so the stories he was telling me was so interesting. And I also had a man named Jack Montgomery on who was not a linguist, but he was a, um, oh my gosh, the study of people. Oh, an anthropologist? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. So Jack Montgomery went into school for anthropology and ended up working with a man named Lee Gandhi. But when he was talking about just going and, and doing, doing work in the field, it just sounded so beautiful to me. So can you, so I also want to ask you, so so what you do now as far as your career, but also sort of what is your relationship? Like, can you explain um, 
the way your Pensafanish Deitch heritage crosses with the work that you study, but then also the work that you're doing. And I remember you mentioning something about the community you're working with and what they, that sometimes you bounce ideas off of them. So I'd love to hear sort of what, what led you to the work, what inspired you to pursue this work, and then also the communities that you're serving in Canada. Sounded really interesting. I just wanted to pick your brain. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of what I do now has, has been inspired because of the fact that I am Pennsylvania Dutch. And, you know, I am very privileged that I grew up with two grandparents that spoke the language and still do speak the language. And, you know, I learned it when I was about 11 or 12 years old, but I always knew that the language was definitely dying out outside of old order communities. And, you know, I always wanted to do something about that. And, but without a degree, it's like, who's going to take you seriously? And so I, you know, it was something I've always been very passionate about. And I would talk to my parents about it. And I just, you know, I would be like, why aren't more people my age speaking Pennsylvania Dutch? And so it's, um, so that definitely led to me really wanting to focus my linguistic studies on language revitalization and preservation. Um, I took a lot of linguistic anthropology courses and um, also a lot of courses about politics and language together and language and power because language and power relations also go hand in hand with a lot of really important issues with language revitalization practices. And um, I took Mohawk for an entire year at university and I studied uh, a lot of my politics studies as well were about indigenous politics. So when I, you know, not that the Pennsylvania Dutch people are indigenous, but I do think that there is some overlap between, you know, a wider English culture dominating yeah. linguistic minorities and nobody understands that more than indigenous people. And so mm -hmm. I um, was very emboldened by my experience as a Pennsylvania Dutch person. Um, and so when I was at university, uh, I, in one of my courses, it was a phonology course, or sorry, no, a phonetics course. We did something called the Mohawk Project. And basically we recorded and um, did a bunch of linguistic analysis with elders from uh, specifically Tyendinaga, which is a Mohawk community here in Ontario. And uh, so that doing that, you know, mapping the, basically we did like a, a, a mapping of uh, where vowels are. So vowels have, this is very linguistic -y speech, but um, vowels are produced in different parts of your mouth. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that we did with that project was map you know, Mohawk vowels. And um, it was really interesting to me because I did that before I actually took the Mohawk course. And uh, it just really made me fall in love with that language as well. And uh, so a lot of my linguistic research was based around revitalizing the Mohawk language for younger generations in the many Mohawk communities here in Ontario and in Quebec and in upstate New York as well. Um, so I, uh, so my experience as a Pennsylvania Dutch person and, you know, feeling like our language, you know, that I was robbed of the opportunity to speak my language because of anti-German sentiment, um, you know, coupled with the fact that Indigenous people continue to face a genocide. I mean, it is, I, I'm going to be, you know, not to be political, but to speak very plainly, Indigenous people, you know, are facing a genocide and have for hundreds of mm -hmm. years. And um, 
so you know i um felt very like passionate about that and so a lot of my work today um is well uh not so much since i left university but a, a lot of my focus during my time there was about how to preserve the mohawk language in classrooms and specifically for kids so like child language acquisition and stuff like that so it, in a nutshell that's that's sort of what i did <laughs> that's awesome and listen don't ever apologize for being political it's all good <laughs> like, <laughs> as much you want to go into it or as little as you want to go into it i am not pressuring anybody but it's one of those times in the world that i have definitely taken i took a break in my 30s from like overt political activism and didn't really put it didn't really like infuse it into the work I've been doing for about 10 years but now it's just at this point it's all out the window I'm done right well and I <laughs> never think, never hold back if you don't want to <laughs> well and you know I think I naively was like oh language and politics don't always have to go together but in most instances they do uh because it is right. tied to ethnicity and race and yeah. um religion and a lot of different things so you know I, um, and I would never say that I'm like the forefront expert on like Mohawk issues. And I would never as like a white person want to speak for them. Um, but in, you know, a lot of people that I've met that are Mohawk from specifically from the Thai and Danega community and my professor, uh, particularly Nathan Brinklow, um, we, I would talk to him about, you know, what it means to be Pennsylvania Dutch and like how, you know, cause I don't want to be like, is this similar to what indigenous people go through and you know talking right. to the mohawk people about their experience really did solidify for me that like pennsylvania dutch people you know with our language are facing you know something that's similar not the, definitely not the same but similar to what mohawk sure. people have faced and um you know, it's only, um, so having that validation from elders that have been through the residential school system, which is a horrific, mm. horrific stain on Canadian mm. and American history. Um, although it's, yeah. I, I find that it's not discussed enough in American um, media, but uh, yes. that sort of beat language literally out of children. And so working with Mohawk people here in Canada, as well as with my professors and, you know, fellow students to be able to provide that language back to kids and to craft um, different programs and to brainstorm together about how we can, you know, how Mohawk children can go to school and sing their traditional songs and dance and speak their language with their grandmothers and grandfathers. It's, you know, it's absolutely beautiful. So that's, um, yeah. that really inspires me. And, and that experience of, of being exposed to Indigenous peoples and, you know, the work that we have to continue doing inspires me every day with, you know, yeah. with working on Pennsylvania Dutch stuff, but also just in my daily life. So. That's so cool. And what I love the most about your vision when you when we were chatting about it, when I initially spoke with you is you saw very naturally the need to reach children because like Doug and I always agree on this, that, and that's part of the reason why we did the children's books is because really um, the way to create change is really through the 
the coming generations that haven't sort of made their decisions about things yet. You know, they're still they're still open to new ideas and open to learning and they have a lot more capacity and less stress to learn new things. Like you mentioned um, early, I don't know if you mentioned, I might be getting ahead of myself. I know we talked about it before, early learning, early language learning is a lot, mm-hmm. a lot, not e- I don't want to say easier, but a lot, I guess easier. I don't know. Um, yeah. Because so, when the brain's developing. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, if you, if you know how to like kind of explain what I'm trying to say, the phenomenon of being an early language learner and the difference between that um, and trying to learn as an adult. So I, I think that's a really fascinating, fascinating topic. So. Yeah, sure. Um, so basically you know, and what you what you were explaining is, is true. Uh, younger children, up until and you know, I'm going to get chastised by my professors if I get this number <laughs> wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Um, I think it's probably before the age of 13. That might be a bit old, but I think any time before puberty really is the ideal mm-hmm. time to learn a language because you know your brain develops throughout your life, but you know it, it your brain develops throughout childhood. And learning a language while your brain is still developing before it's fully grown is really important because, you know, that's when, you know, because you're also learning how to speak English at that time as well. Like, I mean, at least for Americans, you know, for us, like we, you know, we grew up being spoken to in that language. So um, when kids go to, let's, you know, for instance, I'll go back to the situation with Mohawk. If they go to school and they're surrounded by elders from their community speaking Mohawk, um, and you know their you know their brains are able to absorb it much more than adults because you know and not that adults can't learn a language and you know I'm not and I think right. that that's a super important thing to point out is that there are many adult language learners, um, but yeah. children because their brains are not as developed are not as fully grown, there's more capacity. Um, for lack of better words, to uh, to learn a language and to be able to use it and to be able to speak it fluently. Um, yeah. So, you know, and and for it to be natural as well. I think that's a really other, imp- yeah. another important word to use is like for it to come out naturally. So, yeah. you know, that's that was sort of my vision with Pennsylvania Dutch as well as like, you know, and um, and that's a lot of my current research and what I'd like to do you know, later on when I'm sort of brainstorming with you and with others in our community is how do we, you know, approach children uh, to, you know, so that we can inspire language learning for younger kids, because those, that is the demographic to reach out to with any sort of language revitalization project. Um, So yeah, that's a, a large part of how children learn languages and, and, you know, how it. um, linguistically and and scientifically that's sort of how it works but you know it's definitely more nuanced than that (laughs) but it's yeah um, certainly it's it is very interesting and I hope that you know as we continue to work on you know well we're living in an age where we're decolonizing and we're you know really trying to decolonize our ways of knowing with that comes beliefs that weren't normally a part of the Euro-American mainstream. And I know Euro-American, that's kind of Pennsylvania Dutch, they are Euro-American. But um, (laughs) when I say Euro-American, I mean in the, you know, English sense of, you know, basically 
the US and Canada, and Canada is still very English, um, with, you know, having that sort of mindset to take away, you know, the expectations that we have for language learning. So that's sort of, um, that's sort of where I come from in my research when it comes to Pennsylvania Dutch and also my work with Mohawk and other Indigenous languages. So it's um, very cool, very, uh, and, you know, not to, I think it's very cool, actually. <laughs> I know that some people might not. I think it's cool. very cool, too. When you were talking about it, and it was just like a little snippet of the conversation, a little bit about you, I was just like totally geeking out. And I was like, I need to know all the things. Because I'm the type of person where like, language is very hard for me, but I want it so badly. So like, I found workarounds and Doug's been an extremely helpful person in this because he makes it really accessible and talks about like making it part of daily life, like take a couple words each week make it part of your daily life. And another way that I found um, for myself that's easy for me and also for my kids is through music. So we listen to a lot mm -hmm. of Pennsylvania stage folk songs and things like that. And I started to actually listen to, I was working with a teacher of, um, of Irish Gaelic music. Uh, her name is Mary McLaughlin. And we ended up just taking a little pause because I need to learn how to sing first. But she was really impressed with my ability to speak the Irish Gaelic because I have that like from the Deitch, you know? And I think it's also, um, it would be maybe also in like maybe Yiddish and, and Hebrew as well. That, I don't know what, like a linguist would know what to call it. Yeah, it's like, it's like it guttural really cool. fricatives. Yeah. 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 Oh, I love that. It's like yeah, a great well, punk rock band name. What is well, it? That's, guttural fricative? Well, so there's, yeah. So, I mean, you could call it a uvular fricative as well. I think that, you know, oh. for people that aren't, quite in the linguistics realm it's easier to call it a guttural fricative even though like scientifically that's not that. what it's called because it is a very guttural it. sound um yes but um yeah so it is it feels like it's I coming mean, out from your soul you know right so pennsylvania dutch has those sounds and um mm -hmm. yeah so that's definitely something and i and what you said about music is so true like i i also like i love learning languages i live in canada so i'm learning french now and um oh, wow a large part of my study with French is watching the news here in Canada in French. Cause in Canada there's the English yes. channels and there's the French channels. So I watch a lot of the French um, so that I can just hear it. And, you know, with or without subtitles, I can hear it naturally said with, you know, the words across to know what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, learning languages, I mean, especially like for all ages, learning languages yeah. through something that's, more attainable than like sitting in a classroom and like having like the ins and outs of the language spoken to you um and actually mm -hmm. just consuming it in a way that's entertaining is a really helpful way to learn a language absolutely and you know to your point about when you were talking about the mohawks i'm um, you know exposing the children to um different generations of a culture i always think as well like my interest in learning about pennsylvania stage and learning the language all came from my nostalgic memories and childhood memories of being around my grandmother and just her thick accent. And when she would throw in Daichi words and just, you know, I didn't know anything more of it except this feeling that it gave me. And I know, um, you know, Terry Berger will often talk about this when people come to the summer kitchen at the folk fest about how people will come to come to him and eat something and then be brought to tears because the nostalgia of the taste and the flavor, it feels the same to me with the language. I mean, I'm not, I'm not very, I'm not very prolific with the actual language speaking it, but I can understand it a lot better now than I could 10 years ago when I started kind of in this journey of the language has been sort of one of these things that has been a lot harder to attain. But 
it's like a lot of people and scholars and people in the community who are very intelligent and great contributors will say sometimes like, well, I don't really get the language thing because it's, it's a farming language and it doesn't really matter anymore because it was like pre-industrial revolution farming language and what's the point. But I think what they're missing and they're Pennsylvania, but they're missing the deeper meaning of connectedness to what the language meant for our people and also like why it disappeared and and knowing that history and knowing that it's to honor them to bring it back or at least to have efforts to make it continue to um you know be part of the conversation even if people aren't fluent speakers in 20 years i think that's something so profound and important to know is like in my journey learning the history of it was so profound and made it so much more meaningful and i'm so much more committed to it because of that so can you speak to that a little bit more about um you know, in your experience, what does that mean to you, that aspect of, you know, from being sort of like outside of the direct, like, Pennsylvania Dutch community here in Pennsylvania, and seeing, seeing, you know, the language sort of, quote, unquote, dying out, you know, how, how does that make you feel? And, and all of the things? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a very deep, and complex question for everyone in the community. And mm. I, so I will tell you, you know, sort of speaking to what you were talking about, I mean, my answer to a lot of this is that language is power and not power in the political sense, but power in the, I can communicate, you know, I, I have the power to, you know, sing songs that might've been taken away from me or recite poetry that I would have been hit by my teacher because I wasn't allowed to, yes. you know, speak this it gives you power and it gives you, and it shows resilience, um, being able to speak the language. So, you know, my mm -hmm. grandparents, my grandfather actually doesn't really speak it anymore, but he is from a Pennsylvania Dutch family and his parent, his grandmother was, I think a Dunkard, um, but some, some kind of plain community that wasn't Amish or Mennonite. It was like, maybe like Yorker brethren or something like that. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, after she left that community, they stopped passing down Pennsylvania Dutch. So they kind of stopped passing it down pretty early on. But my grandmother grew up in, you know, she was from a family of 12 and a farming family. And she grew up speaking Pennsylvania Dutch. And she never got like bullied about it until later in life. But you know, in school, because mm -hmm. all the kids were Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, and then just gradually, they went to school and it was in English. Um, she, you know, I, I, she'll, I'll talk to her about those times and, you know, she'll talk about it with such fondness. And I often tell her, you know, I don't know if you realize, but, you know, being able to speak that language and the fact that you can still communicate in it, even though you haven't really spoken it for like 60 years is powerful. You know, it's so powerful. So, you know, that to me is definitely like the biggest takeaway from all of that. And being outside the community only makes me feel more powerful that I'm in a different part of the world now without Pennsylvania Dutch people. There are in, in a different part of Ontario, not where I live. Um, really? But yeah, there's a large Amish community in a town called Waterloo. I was gonna say Mennonite. Oh, that's amazing. I actually know Waterloo. Why do I know Waterloo? There's a university Maybe there. Maybe my friend lives there. Oh, I was gonna say Mennonite because they really get around. You know, they really yeah. were like missionaries. Yeah. So there's Mennonites that actually speak Plautdeutsch here in Canada, um, which is Never a, heard like, of that. yeah, so that's Mennonite low German. It's not, it's, you know, Germanic in the sense that like, that's how Pennsylvania Dutch and Plautdeutsch are related, 
but Plautdeutsch is more low German, while Pennsylvania German is like a high, well, it's a central German dialect, which is part of the high German um, community. I always feel like we need a crown when we say high German. I know. I'm here for the high German tea. That's the thing. <laughs> but it's I'm, not really that. It's high in the sense that right? we're from hillier regions of the country. Yes. And Alpine. Yes, I in love the that. Sense, like my yes. ancestors, Rode, my last name, Rode, those people come from Hessen in Germany, but my mm-hmm. grandfather's mother, their last name is Alleman or Alleman, as it would be said in English, and they're from Switzerland. So I, <gasps> so that's the high German is that we're from yes. like Switzerland. Yes. Yeah. So funny because in America, we always think like, oh, high end or whatever. So Alemang, like as in the Alamanga here? Um, so Alaman it- in the sense that like Alaman, I, I, so I might be wrong with the history of this, but I'm pretty sure Alaman oh, okay. was the name of the like Germanic tribe that eventually became yes. modern German speaking people. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so we have a place I, here called the Alamange. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. It's like in the Lehigh Valley. Yeah, it's really, really wild country. It's very, very cool. Um, my husband's like obsessed with it. Um, and we did a book, the Pennsylvania German Cultural Heritage Center, and I did a book. I illustrated for them about these characters that were in the Alamangi. And I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's a really, really, like some of the places here, it's like, wow, it's really wild country, you know? There's like Absolutely. many layers to it. Not just this dimension, but many, many layers. Yeah, so so that's the Aleman. So like Alemanic peoples are sort of what we all, all the German speaking people, I don't know if it includes Dutch, like Netherlandic Dutch, but right. um, I, they might've been Frankish or Franconian. I don't know if they're related. Mm-hmm. I'm not a historian, but I do know some of the terminology. <laughs> um, yes. But, uh, the, yeah, so the Aleman, family that branch of my ancestors is from switzerland so that's sort of where the high german comes from so um i forget what we were talking about before that but you know i it's all interesting <laughs> it's all relevant um, i know i'm sorry i have add and i just get so excited talking about all these things with you that i'm no, like just going off on tangents but. no that's okay it's it is really exciting it's and it's um, important to know like where we came from as well because i think that that you know sort of keeps us grounded in the sense that like we've obviously left that place for a reason and you know even though we have like our dna and like our language and our you know family names um we also have to remember that like we are in pennsylvania (laughs) and you know other parts of north america and the world but right um you know it's uh i'm really interested in the european aspect but i'm also more interested in like the the fact that we are in Pennsylvania and are fighting to yes. maintain a lot of our folkways. Um, but yeah, so yes. that's like, it, it's very interesting. And um, I mean, you know, those of you who are listening and are also Pennsylvania Dutch would, you know, might be aware that like we all come from, most of us come from Southwestern Germany and Switzerland and Alsace in France. And I have relatives, well, uh, ancestors from all of those regions. So, you yeah. know, it's really cool because you know, now I want to travel to these places. I want to like, you know, see where the, you know, see the similarities, you know, between that geography and our geography, because I, from the pictures I've seen, it looks really similar to Pennsylvania. Yes. Like kind of scary. I know, scary. isn't it wild? Yeah. Like, I know, right? But yeah, it's all very, very cool stuff. 
Well, it's funny because you brought up um, Franconian and I wanted to share with you another person to add to your list uh, is a dear friend of mine from across the pond in Germany, uh, Patrick Phelps. And he is from Germany and he is from the Moselle Franconian um, area. Sorry, that's the language. He speaks the dialect Moselle Franconian and he talked about it. It's really cool. I, I interviewed him for my podcast, but he and I have followed each other for a really long time. And he was talking about the kind of similarities and differences between the Deutsch dialects there in, in the Palatinate and then um, the Mosella Franconian and how his efforts are also to preserve that dialect. Um, and he actually told me about International Mother Language Day, which is February 21st, which I thought was really, really cool and something that you'd probably be really interested in. I'm not sure if you've heard about it before, but it's, um, so you can, you can go to the website and it is called the United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organization. And it's called um, so you can go to the website, news.un.org, and it's NIST Honor <laughs> International Mother Language Day. I love that so much. So it just, it's neat to come across so many people that have this on their minds, and, and it's a passion of theirs to preserve their languages, and um, and not in vain. You know, there's good what? reason, and it is, it, it, is, it, it is a way to honor our ancestors and honor and honor the trauma that they that they went through in the oppression, in my opinion. So well, and speaking to the you know Moselle Franconian connection that you have, it's so interesting because yeah. like you know as someone who like you know because I I can speak Pennsylvania Dutch fairly decently, I like to think, and um, you know I um, one of my friends who was an exchange student from the Netherlands, but was born and raised in Luxembourg. Um, her mother is also from the Netherlands, but they moved around to Luxembourg just for, you know, whatever reason. But I don't know how familiar you are with the Luxembourgish language, but like I no. can speak full on Pennsylvania Dutch with them and they can respond to me in Luxembourgish. Wow. And it's like a seamless conversation. And that's a Moselle Franconian dialect. So wow. it's a standardized Moselle Franconian dialect and it has a lot of French influence. So with my mm. learning of yes, French. Yes, that's what he was saying. And also with Pennsylvania Dutch, it actually is really helpful to understand them. Um, so it is really interesting seeing those European connections. I mean, I'm a really, I'm really big into dialectology, which, you know, as the name suggests, it's the study of dialects. Um, so I'm really interested as well in like Alsatian German, um, which, you know, is one of the predecessors to our dialect. I know, you know, Pezisch gets most of the the representation because it is kind of like the main influence. But Alsatian German is also a really big influence and that is more related to Swiss dialects, but it's spoken in Alsace in France. And they're going through a similar thing that we Pennsylvania Dutch are going through in preserving their language in a world where there's, you know, not as many protections for it. And the dominant language is not a Germanic, well, English is a Germanic language, but it's not like, high German isn't the standard language. So they have to right. deal with like linguistic differences. Um, so that's another area that I'm really interested in, but I could go on like a whole tangent about dialectology because I'm like obsessed. This is, it's so fascinating. I love it so much because it's kind of like, it feels, and this is probably totally wrong, but it feels, I'm really drawn to language because it feels very creative. And I think because you can choose sort of how to communicate with people. It feels like, like you had mentioned before, an empowerment. And I love that so much about language. And also it's sort of like a non, um, 
like a non-overt way to like connect with people. So if you're, if you're in a crowded place or, or in like um, a, a market or something like that, and you start speaking, like, for example, Deutsch, or if you were in Canada and you started speaking French, or if you started speaking English, like it's, it's like a, it's a way to like signal to people who can, who can automatically like know that you're, you have that connectedness, you know? So I love that part of it. I love that part of language so much. Yeah. Well, and to me, it's like so interesting, the nuance of, of language, because like, you know, we're always taught that like language, well, I mean, you know, it, people do unlearn this as they go through life, especially if you're like, you know, us and we're in a dialect community. But I think people walk through life thinking that language is like the same, that like the, like English, for instance, is like the same the world over. But like, you know, my move to Canada, like I've picked up a lot more like Canadian English things now that I live here. And I spell things the Canadian way now that I live here. And it's like, you know, there are differences and German is no different. And in fact, German has so many dialects that are like not mutually intelligible with each other. Like you can't understand each other when you speak to each other in two different German dialects. So it's so interesting to me to see the diversity of language within like a linguistic umbrella. So I, um, yeah, it's very cool. Very, very, very cool. So let me ask you, this is really dating me. Um, have you seen My Fair Lady? Of course, of course. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> my mom's obsessed with this film, right? So when I watched it recently in like my 30s or whatever, I was like, wow. Because like you mentioned, we'd like to think of language as being like an equal playing field, but it's definitely politicized. And she was being treated very differently for having her Cockney accent. And um, I always think of Pencil Funnish Deitch sort of like that, just because of the history and the experience that I've that I've experienced through my familial um, sort of issues growing up speaking the language um, and thinking of like what we call high German as sort of always being like, well, you're just speaking Cockney kind of, you know, would you have thoughts on that? Yeah. So, um, and I was telling you this story shortly before we were recording, but um uh, my we have family friends from Germany mm-hmm. uh, and they were from, you know, East Germany, which was the communist side of the East West divide of the of what is now Germany. And um, so when so my dad and my grandmother went to Oktoberfest shortly after the wall came down between the two. And it was the first time that it was like a united Germany Oktoberfest. And they met this German family there. And, you know, they just talked about things. They had never been to America before. It never came up in conversation that, like, my family is Pennsylvania Dutch. My grandmother doesn't have, like, a Dutchified accent. She, you know, grew up in it. But I think she tried really hard to not have a Dutchified accent due to the stigma. Um, But, uh, yeah, so they came to visit us in America. Us as in my, I wasn't born at this point. But, (laughs) um they uh, so they came to visit us and learned pretty quickly that my family is Pennsylvania Dutch, and they were actually quite judgmental about it because, you know, in Germany, and I don't want to speak for all Germans, and I do think things are changing. Yeah. Um, but in in their heads, speaking a dialect is seen as uneducated, lower class, and you know, not particularly productive to the progression of society. And so they were actually pretty like rude 
to my family about Pennsylvania Dutch. And my grandmother would never admit this because she's a very proud lady. Um, but she, I can imagine she was definitely pretty hurt by that because, you know, she, not that she was like overly proud to be Pennsylvania Dutch. It was just who she is. And, um, but after that, she, and, you know, according to my family and just the way she talks about being Pennsylvania Dutch, I do think that she carries a lot of shame because she used to be a travel agent. So she's been to Germany, like probably 15, 20 times. Um, so she uh, probably, I mean, I can imagine she probably encountered a lot of like bullying or like microaggressions um, towards being Pennsylvania German. And so, and then actually one time that this, these family friends came over from Germany and they wanted to meet the Amish and, you know, the Amish speak Pennsylvania Dutch very differently than, you know, those who aren't Amish speak it. I even have a hard time communicating with them sometimes. Um, And so they were actually even worse to them because they basically called, they refused to call their language Pennsylvania German or a German dialect. They called it Amlish. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, we, my family were just kind of like, ha ha ha, Amlish. But like, if you really think about it, it's like, you know, it's so dehumanizing and, and, you know, it doesn't, it's, um, you know, it like invalidates your existence Mm -hmm. as a Pennsylvania German individual, because we're not here to be German. We're here to be Pennsylvania German, which, you know, I think for anyone who's Pennsylvania German is like, you know can understand that that it's a separate identity yeah sure like we're not you know i would be i'm happy to like have those connections with germany because you know it's where our ancestors came from and it is an important place but at the same time we're not here to be little germany we're here to be pennsylvania and we're pennsylvania german right so like that also hearing that story really like you know pissed me off (laughs) Um, and I'm still, you know, I'm very close with this, with these family friends. And, you know, I do speak and actually the younger ones, they've all had kids and grandkids now. And and the ones that are closer to my age are super interested in the dialect Wow. and want to relearn their dialects over there as well. So there is this sort of regional identity that's coming back after, you know, the shit show that Germany has been through over the last hundreds of years. So, um, you know, it, it's really inspiring to see that, but I will always hold that in the back of my mind that there is this judgment. So, go, so you know, to make a long story short, um, your, your, you know, recognizing of Cockney being seen as like a working class dialect of English absolutely has parallels to Pennsylvania German in the eyes of German speaking people in Germany. So, uh, and it's the same with many dialects that are spoken across Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Liechtenstein. Luxembourg, Pennsylvania, and all over the world, because there's Germans all over the world here in Canada as well. So um, yeah, it's definitely, it's, I mean, it's great that you picked up on that. And I think a lot of Pennsylvania Germans, you know, I would hope could see parallels to our existence through that. You would hope, Ethan, you would hope. But sometimes, yeah, you know, sometimes it's like, I don't blame people, but I also feel like a lot of, um, like, I personally feel like a lot of microaggressions, particularly like, when I think back to like um, the time that I discussed in my book about like um, um, sort of like an appropriation and exploitation, I don't think, I think it was, I think it was just really ignorance. And I think like people not being informed and feeling like they had a free pass to like 
write our narrative for us because because we were all we were so oppressed when we left and then we were like oppressed when we got here so it it became like this thing where it's like you know just continue it but I think like our generation is really the ones well you and I are in different generations but mine and Doug's generation um which I don't really know what the hell I am. I'm not Generation X, but I'm the one in between Millennials and Generation X. I think I'm called like, am I called Granny Millennial or something? I don't know. But um, I mean, I would call you. I would call you a Millennial. I, I personally call you Millennial. That makes me happy. I mean, I'm kind of between. I'm between Millennial and Gen Z, so I call myself a Zillennial. Um, oh, so there's a whole new group of people. So, so Millennials are kind of like older now. Yeah. Yeah, Millennials stopped being born in '94. I am a millennial um, by the way. I was, yeah, you're a millennial. I was born in 2000, which is like right before wow. Gen Z started. So I'm a wow, millennial. You're a white uh, baby. So I can relate. I am a white baby. We thought the baby, world so was I can relate to both millennials. You saved us, Ethan. Well, debatable. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I um, uh, But that's, yeah, no, I do agree. I think it's up to the millennials and, yes. to, you know, myself and to gen z because i think as generations progress we are seeing we are taking um or we are i guess gaining pride more in our in our individualism and our cultural identity um you know not in the sense that it's like oh well this group is better than this group because that's problematic and hasn't worked for anyone in the last hundreds of years that that's you know been a mindset but um you know i find people my age that are pennsylvania german Uh, actually like my best friend from childhood like since we were two years old is Pennsylvania German and I recently spoke to her and I said you know do you like recall like ever being discouraged from speaking Pennsylvania German and she was like I mean when I would she in her words she was like when I tried I was I was always like you know don't don't say that don't use those words and you know so there's a lot of people my age that are feeling you know like a large part of us has been stolen yeah and you know taken away yes and i mean that's the thing is like all of my friends here and including my partner and like nobody understands why i'm like so passionate about this and i think it's because a lot of them haven't had to go through something like this because it's like we're not quite being discriminated against for you know it's not like a racial thing and it's not like you know because like we're all white in it like in that sense but like you know we're it's like we are dealing with extreme prejudice that seems to get swept under the rug because we're seen as like I think we're taken for granted like I think Pennsylvanians that aren't Pennsylvania German do see us as like oh well they've always been here like it's just a part of who we are and I think they take us for granted and it's like oh we'll go to Lancaster and see the cheeky windmills at at Dutch Haven or whatever it's called (laughs) and you know I do it kind of makes me like not angry but it does it's certainly frustrating when I come back to like and I drive through Lancaster and I'm like oh this is so not who we are um and so it it definitely yeah I do feel like our people have been taken for granted um in Pennsylvania and you know mock we've been mocked and I think that that's just it's a thing in in and of itself yeah but um I do think that your generation and my generation it's up to us to like carry on these traditions and like teach it to kids and like expand everyone's minds 
Yeah, and and like take the good and leave behind the bad. Like take the good and carry that on and and continue to evolve the folk, right. evolve. The folk culture. Yeah, for sure. I love that so much because the thing is, and it's so empowering for me as like an older millennial to see this energy from like your generation and younger millennials, because what I love the most, and I, I grew up like when I was a teenager, I was full on punk rock, like devoted to the punk rock, like punk rock lifestyle. But what's really cool is it's so unapologetic, like, no, 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 we're going to pursue this and you're not going to stop us old people, basically. What is it? Um, what do y'all call my parents' generation? I love it. Boomers. Boomers, oh, sit down. Yeah. Sit down, boomer. And, you know, like, good luck. Because what I love about the energy of of this time period that we're in also is, like, social media has really leveled the playing field, too. Because it's like, look at you. Mm -hmm. Like, you've been able to reach out to huge amounts of people, community leaders, and have that access. And that is such an empowering thing. I mean... How cool is that? I mean, when I was growing up, I would write letters to bands, like letters, and we would write zines and like yeah. mail them to each other. And it's like, that is the coolest, best gift of technology ever is that it's really empowered people. And there is no, like when Desert Storm happened when I was a kid, like they weren't even showing photographs or video. They would show like these little weird maps to like control the narrative or whatever. Like you can't do that when everybody's holding a camera and a live stream. Like you cannot control that anymore and I think it's so wild and like empowering and it's just a really cool time to be alive and it's really really neat to see this and I know if Doug if Doug is listening or if Doug um were here with us he would be moved to tears because it's so it's so it's so powerful for us to see a younger person you know with this much energy and excitement for the language and I know it means a lot to us and it shows that that our efforts are, are making a difference and meaning something to people. So we're so excited to have you, um, Ethan, here in the community. And you're certainly always welcome to sit with us and and partake in, in all the important discussions that us leaders have uh, often. And um, I just can't wait to see what you do with um, your interest in this. I'm really excited to see how this evolves for you and in and, and any ways that we can support yeah. you. Uh, please let us know how can people reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about, about what you're going to be working on? Or are we not yeah, there yet? Absolutely. So <laughs> no, well, that's the thing is like, unfortunately I don't have a website. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, you know, people can just, if you're interested uh, in talking to me, you can find me on Instagram at Ethan J road, not to like plug myself or anything, but like, no, plug yourself and I can link way. it. Yep. No problem. Um, and I'm also in like a lot of Facebook groups like Kunst du Deutschwetze and Die Degliche Deutsch, of the Degliche Deutsch von Deutsch and things like that. So like I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups where you can find me. Um, also like, I mean, I'm also friends with Rachel. So Rachel can yeah. totally, I mean, not to like put you on the spot, but like I know all. Rachel, you would, I would trust that you would send people to me Absolutely. if they wanted to connect. And I'll vet them first so, and make sure they're like, like-minded. Absolutely. They're legit. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. have all the right But that's intentions. the thing is like, it's so, <laughs> and you know, going back to what you were saying about social media and I don't know how much time we have left, but I will say like, you know, about social media, I, um, I would not have been able to, you know, because I did leave the community. Like I moved to Philly when I was 11 and there aren't really Pennsylvania Dutch people readily available where I, where I moved. So I would not have been able to learn the language and I would not have been able to 
meet you and meet many of the lovely people in our community if it had not been for social media. So I am very grateful for that because it does often feel like I'm screaming into the void. Like I literally have to talk and I was, I forget, I don't know if I told you this, but I sometimes literally have to like talk to myself in Pennsylvania German to like practice the language. Yeah. And like, because my grandmother kind of refuses to speak it after what I talked about earlier. And, you know, I, yeah, there's literally like, because I live so far away. Yeah. I, there's no one that I can like go and speak the language with like as readily as I'd like to. So it is due to social media that I can speak the language and that I'm connected to you and to Doug. I mean, I haven't met Doug and I haven't spoken to him, but um, I feel connected to him as well because of what he's given me linguistically and um, many others in our community. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could name drop like Luella Sibo with her easy Deitch videos yeah. Um and um, yeah, there's just so many lovely people in our community that yeah. I just feel drawn to and connected to because we're all cut from the same pencil faunish dyed cloth. Yes, absolutely. So. And it's really neat because um, I don't know, it's just like such a beautiful thing to think about, like sort of as a web and, and the way that like the six degrees of pencil faunish dyed separation. One thing I wanted to ask absolutely. you about <laughs> before we go, because we only have a couple minutes, but I wanted to ask you about... Um, when I grew up, like we didn't speak Pennsylvania Dutch in our household. And it turns out like my dad's German American. I always thought it was Pennsylvania Dutch, German American. So I'm really Pennsylvania Dutch on my mom's side. But my parents would use Yiddish words, like, and I don't even know where they got these from. We live like we live close to Philadelphia. Um, but I mean, like I've I've been told so much since being in in Pennsylvania Dutch country in here in Berks County. Um a lot, a lot of times people, when I'm vending events, will come up to me and say, well, you know, Yiddish is so similar to Pennsylvania State. And I know at the Heritage Center, um, there was a person named, a woman named Erica Cohen that was working there for a bit. And she was, she was an anthropologist student and, and, and a Jewish person who was deeply um, committed to her religion. And I think we've talked about Yiddish before, and it was really interesting. But can you just briefly tell me what how wh- why are why are they so similar can you tell me like linguistically speaking i wanted to pick your brain about that a little bit because i find it really fascinating sure yeah so i don't know if i actually mentioned that i'm that i'm like i'm half pennsylvania dutch the other half is jewish um so i um i grew up in that faith and and my grandparents are first generation americans um so i um yeah so yiddish and pennsylvania german are quite similar in the sense that yiddish is descended from old high german um but of course being in an ethnically middle eastern community there's words from semitic languages namely hebrew and aramaic uh, that have been mixed in as well as, you know, because my grandparents are from the, you know, former Russian empire, now Ukraine and Poland. Um, they, there's a lot of Ukrainian and Polish and Russian words that are mixed in with the language as well. So my grandparents, my grandfather, unfortunately, is no longer with us. And he actually spoke Yiddish, but my grandmother oh. went to Yiddish school. And she, I mean, you know, I, I, I listened to your podcast with Doug recently and I heard you say the word verklempt and I was just like, you know, I, cause I, um, that's the thing is, you know, Yiddish because Jews moved into cities and Jews actually have contributed a huge like portion of our American pop culture yes. through Broadway musicals and things like that. Yes. Um, and comedy, you know, Yiddish has passed 
many words into our language. And I mean, I say Yiddish words all the time. Now, I didn't grow up speaking Yiddish, um, but my grandmother, when I speak Pennsylvania Dutch, the other grandmother, uh, the Yiddish grandmother, she um, is like, wow, this sounds like Yiddish. Yes. Um, so it is, yeah, they're definitely cousins. That's they're really cool. not quite the same. Right. But uh, yeah, Yiddish is such a fun, expressive language. Yes. And, you know, that's what I mean. I mean, my favorite word is, you know, my favorite word is schlep. Like, I just say schlep, schlep all the time. Like, like I schlep from here to there. It's like, you know. In my household, we said schlep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing is Yiddish kind of comes in and out of my brain. Sometimes sure. it'll be a word that really just perfectly describes the situation. Like, there's a really, and I don't, again, I don't want to, like, you know, go over the time but like I will say my favorite one of my other favorite Yiddish words is like potchkering mm. like if you're you know kind of just walking around kind of strolling you know yeah, doing that. this or that and just kind of you know doing your own thing and you're a little bit like slow we would say like potchkering like oh stop potchkering you know you have to hurry up um so that's that's a that. favorite um favorite Yiddish word Oh, that, yeah. you know what? Let's close the episode in that way. I would like to know your favorite. Let's, well, and then I want to ask you, Frolica Light, I want to ask you about that because that was such a cool moment uh, between Bradley Smith and us and, of course, made me cry. So we got to get me to cry before you go. But um, tell me, what is, yeah. what is your favorite Pennsylvania Dutch word? What's your favorite Yiddish word? And then any other languages you'd like to share with us that you know? Like, what is the word that makes you, that you either enjoy saying or or the meaning behind it because i know knowing about language enough that sometimes there's words that just encompass something so differently in a language than you can in english yeah i, I was so glad that you asked this question and i was hoping you would because in my head i was like oh i hope rachel asked what my favorite words See, in i read your mind are. that's so funny <laughs> that's so funny that you said that um in pennsylvania dutch you know I really think the word Freilichkeit that Bradley said is so representative of like what it means to be Pennsylvania German, you know, in the sense that, and you know, that, and Brad taught me that word. I actually never used that word I never heard to describe it. what it means yeah. to be Pennsylvania Dutch. Um, but Freilichkeit mainly just means happiness, but it's like, in my mind, you know, I am very happy and proud to be Pennsylvania Dutch. And I think I'd like to give that happiness back to people in my generation that are Pennsylvania German so that they have that, you know, Freilichkeit in their lives. So I would probably say that, or like, <laughs> I mean, I, a lot of curse words. I really love Give it to us. curse words that yes. I'm not going to repeat. Oh, oh you I don't just, have to. Well I, actually, <laughs> well, I have a question. I do kind of have a question for anyone listening. My grandmother says, Dihonstipadu, and I don't know what that means. Um, but I think it's a, or Oofgebiddled. Oofgebiddled is my favorite oh, Pennsylvania yeah. Dutch word, hands down being pregnant or like knocked up i never heard that one oof gebiddled. oh it's such a fun oh my gosh my such grandmother said thing. that once and she didn't think i spoke that much pennsylvania dutch she was talking with her friend about you know oh you know so and so is oof gebiddled. and i was like nana ich hab's ich hab's all cat <laughs> <laughs> so That's amazing. I, it was very funny um, so Ufkebittled is my favorite Pennsylvania Dutch word. My favorite Yiddish word is probably potchkering. Um, and then I'm going to give you Mohawk because I don't think Please. a lot of people know much about Please. Mohawk. Please, I would love that. Um, 
so in Mohawk, you don't ask how somebody is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would say skanagoagon. Skanagoagon. Skanagoa is a is a word in itself, and then gan at the end makes it a question. Um, so skanagoa means is there peace? You don't mm-hmm. ask someone like how are you doing. You say skanagoagon. Is there is there peace? Is there great peace? And um, I absolutely adore that. And then usually you're not allowed to say no. <laughs> I learned this. I mean you. Because if you say no, then you're like falling apart. Um, so you would say, ha, huh, skanagoa. And then you would say, nokinize, which means in you. And they would say, ha, huh, skanagoa. So I like the word skanagoa to ask how someone's doing. It's like, is there great peace? And um, that just shows, you know, camaraderie between Mohawk people around Turtle Island. So it's wow. really, really great. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to be going around the house saying that my kids are going to look at me cross-eyed. Like, what's going on? Do you know where I got the clems from? This makes me old. Where Barbara Streisand. No. Talk amongst yourself. Here, I'll give you a topic. Saturday Night Live, Michael Myers. What, no, Michael Myers? What the heck was his name? See? I can't fit anything else in the brain. Um, I'll have to dub that in. I forget the comedian's name. My, well, I know Fakland is a really yeah. a lot of Yiddish. It's so such a good word. A lot of it is Fakland is a good one. Also, like plots, I say that a lot. I'm gonna plot, I which means like I'm gonna fall over. <laughs> I'm gonna plot, um, yeah. I love it. There's just uh, Yiddish is great, and I mean, I know I, I should it. be promoting speaking Pennsylvania Dutch, but if you're listening and you're ethnically Ashkenazi Jewish and you would like to learn Yiddish. You know, that's another language that has been taken away, yes. I think, in, in the United States because of anti-Semitism. So, um, you know, it, any language that you feel is a part of your heritage or not necessarily a part of your heritage, but it's just something you want to do. I absolutely encourage everyone, yes. if they have the means, to go out and do it because I do not regret a single second of the last 10 years learning Pennsylvania German. Literally. Like, I would it, hands down agree. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us as we say goodbye today, Ethan, thank you so much. So, so much for sitting down with me. This has been so much fun. I'm so geeking out. I love this chat so much. So we always say machskut, which took me about seven years to get. And so Doug told me it means make good, which I like as a way to say goodbye instead of goodbye. It's like kind of like that greeting of peace, Um, you know, have a like almost like how people will sometimes say have a blessed day. What is your interpretation of machskut? Yeah, so I mean, in my head, like Machskut, that's definitely, they say that in high German too yeah. sometimes, but definitely I, if I heard that, I'd be like, no, that's, that's Pensilfonisch Deutsch. Um, Machskut in my head, yeah, like means do well, like do it well. Um, I just think it, yeah, I think that's words of encouragement. It's Same. not like goodbye. It's like, you know, okay, you have this interaction that you'll carry with you forever do now do with it what you can make with it and so yeah make it good do it well so it's and it's actually you know another linguistics thing is like it's in the command form like mm-hmm. mock scoot yeah like that's a command that's not a question or like a just like a happy thing it's like you're gonna do well whether you like it or not that's right Jungi. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I, that's how I interpret it. And I actually, I absolutely love that. That's like how we say goodbye. Cause it's not quite goodbye. I love it so much. Yeah. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Rachel.
I'm absolutely adored this. And yeah, like Rachel said, and like I gave you my information, if anyone wants to reach out to me to like have the chats about linguistics and Pennsylvania German, I am around. So yeah, and you thank you for giving me this platform. Absolutely. And you had mentioned something about we should have sort of like a coffee clutch like they did at the Schwankflutter where we get together once a month and shoot the shit in Deitch. I sure could use that. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll have to get that together. Absolutely. And... She's, we have to she's to shy. Yeah. Say in Pennsylvania Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ethan. And I'll be talking to you soon. And I can't wait to watch all of the wonderful things that you do and contribute to our amazing culture and community. Thank you, Rachel. Oh, Max Gut. Max Gut. Do it well. <laughs> Indeed. Always. No other way, right? <laughs>